Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Man, it's great to have this opportunity to preach in the last evening service uh, of this year. And I am looking forward to continue through Corinthians uh, next year. Um, but as we uh, end this year, I would like us to turn to Isaiah chapter 55. And sometimes when you consider what to preach, and this, this chapter has been just popping in, popping up in the last few weeks uh, in our going through our book in the, uh, as a staff, it popped in in one of the uh, my devotions and one of the prayer meetings. So I thought maybe God wants to say something here. So Isaiah chapter 55. It reads, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. And a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous men His thoughts. Let Him return to the Lord that He may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. 
For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Lord, this is your word. And Lord, would you find me faithful in proclaiming only that which you intend for me to proclaim, coming from your very word, O God. Would you hide me and that Christ alone will be exalted and help us, including myself, to hear what you are saying. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, we are here in Isaiah 55, and it is a relatively known text. And a lot, some of the verses, I'm sure that as we read, you, you have heard it, you've quoted it before. Um, but maybe let me just start in terms of the context of this chapter. So the context of this chapter 55 um, is in the context of Isaiah's prophecy uh, about the great redemption that is accomplished by Jesus Christ in chapter 53. 700 years before the coming of Christ, Isaiah prophesies, and, and there is that, um, that great passage in Isaiah 53, 4 to 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we steamed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. A very known text, and, and it is a, a, amazing, even in terms of detail of, of crucifixion, if you read the whole of, of chapter 53, um, and speaking about the suffering servant. And in verse 12, it says, Therefore I, speaking about God the Father, will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. So there will be a portion divided with the many. This is a great redemption that Isaiah is prophesying about. And then in chapter 54, there is the benefits of this great, great uh, redemption. And one of them, found in verse 2 and 3, speaks of, Enlarge the place of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and, and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. William Carey, the great um, missionary, the father of modern missions, spoke about this text about uh, being a great missionary text 
speaking that these great benefits of the redemption spoken about in chapter 53 will be seen not only by the people of Israel, but to the nations. The, the, the tent will be stretched out in the habitations and until all the peoples of the world are included. So that's, that's the setup. Those, there is a great redemption. It's going to be not just for the people of Israel. It's going to be stretched out to people. And then we come to chapter 55. And John Piper calls it the great invitation. And it, 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 makes, uh, it makes sense. And so our first point is come. This word appears a number of times. But in our ESV, it starts with the with the word come, but not in the original Hebrew. In the original Hebrew is an expression of ho or hoy or hey, pay attention. It's a, it's a call for you to, to, to pay attention to this great announcement that is, is coming. You know, when I was in youth ministry, it was often when everyone is chilling and playing and, and you're trying to get them, okay, guys, we're going to start now, and, and they wouldn't be quiet, and I would make this sound. And then everyone is like, what is going on? It is just to call their attention. And this, this word, ho, starts calling this, the, the attention. Spurgeon says, ho, this is the gospel note, a short, significant appeal urging you to be wise enough to attend to your own interests. Oh, the condescension of God that he should, as it were, become a beggar to his own creature and stoop from the magnificence of his glory to cry, Oh, to foolish and ungrateful men. So there is this pay attention, and then there is this great invitation, come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come. Now, who should come? We have two kinds of people here, uh, two kinds of qualifications. That one who doesn't have any money, who's broke, and the one who, who thirsts. And, and this is a great reminder that the redemption of Jesus Christ, the great salvation, is a free gift. You do not earn it. You, in fact, you cannot earn it. And, and what it is amazing is that uh, all that we like and, and want and desire is generally sometimes very costly. We, we, in the past week, Melissa and I were looking for furniture before my parents arrived, and we look, oh, this, is, this one is nice, and this one is nice, and this one, but it's costly. It costs so much. And the amazing thing that the Bible is saying to us is that we, we desire forgiveness, we desire um, being included we desire to be loved. We desire fulfillment. We desire maybe a, a, an eternal life. And guess what? It's free. It is completely free. The gift of salvation is free. You do not have 
to pay for anything. You who have no money, come, come to him. It is free of charge. You don't have to, to pay. Those things that you long for, if you're thirsting, come to him and he will give you water. Our, our default mode is we, we want to earn it ourselves. We want to, to try to, to somehow work for our salvation. And even after we are saved, we want to, in a sense, try to maintain our salvation by our, our good works. And, and that's not it. The gospel is great and it's magnificent because it's a free offer. You don't have to pay for anything. So if you're broke, you're a great candidate. <laughs> Come to him. Jesus says in, in John 7, 37 to 39, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this is said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus has, was not yet glorified. So tonight, if you don't hear anything else, hear this, come to Jesus. And you, you might be thinking, well, Isaac, I've, I've come already. You, you're talking to the wrong crowd here. Well, I'm actually not, because none of us are in close in intimacy as we should be. None of us are completely there yet. One of the questions we ask when we go to pastoral visits is, how is your spiritual life going? <laughs> and, and often the answer is often not as it should be. And I will join that. None of us are where we should be. We should continue to keep coming to Jesus because out of, he's the one that gives us water, but not just water. Look there, it says, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. John, John Piper points something very interesting about this. Listen to this. God is willing to revive us from the heat of death valley with the miracle of his water and make us strong and healthy and stable with the miracle of his milk and then give us endless and ever fresh exhilaration with the miracle of his wine. In other words, if, you, if you're thirsty and you're dying, you need water. But a little baby, little Amelia, can't be drinking just water, needs milk. We need milk to grow, and Jesus gives us that. Not only that, but wine for exhilaration. We want to be merry, we want to be fulfilled. Jesus gives us that. Come to him. Come to Jesus. We often do what in verse 2 says, we labor 
and spend our money for that which does not satisfy. We, we spend our time, our money, our efforts on things that do not fulfill us. And so you, yes, you believer are here, come to Jesus. Come back to him. He satisfies. He is the one. Listen to this word in verse 2. Delight yourselves in rich food. For people that think that church is boring and that the Christian life is just so boring, they, they don't have a clue because it is fulfilling. It's full of delight and enjoyment. I can enjoy Christ and feel, be filled with a joy that nothing else in this world can give me. Not even Brazil winning the World Cup. By the way, no spoilers, okay? But it's not the only promise and benefit that we, we get. Water, milk, wine, and good food. We are, there's an invitation to join a covenant. And from second half of verse 3, we go on. And the promise is, And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Now, this word everlasting covenant is not the first time it appears. It appears in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel. And it is primarily referring to the experience of those that were returned from exile. However, there is a bigger scope here, as we'll see in the next verses. And here's a promise that if you come to him, he will make a covenant with you as he did with David. You see, God had established David, and we see that in, in verse 4. Before, behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the, the peoples. He had established David. He's a prominent figure, and he had made a promise to David that he will have a, an everlasting kingdom. Now, what, what happens to this promise? Is, is it fulfilled? David was no longer living. Well, we have been talking about it, reading about it, and singing about it for the past few weeks. From Luke one thirty one, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him, listen, the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The blessings and salvation will come not only to the people of Israel, but through faith it will be spread to the nations. People that were outside of God's covenant will be drafted in. And that's why we're here today in South Africa, thousands of kilometers away from Israel. As it says in Ephesians 2, 11 and 13. Therefore, remember that at one time, you, it's you and me, Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember 
that you were at that time separated from, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, William Carey was right. The tent is being stretched. It must extend, and the gospel must go out even to the unknown nations. Look at verse 5. Behold, you, you shall call a nation that you do not know. And a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel. So there is this, this great invitation, this great promise that He is going to look at us as He looked at Israel with, with favor. Just as Israel was his chosen people, we are now his chosen people. But there is an urgency. Verse 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. There is an urgency to this announcement. It's now. It's an invitation that is now. It has a time limit. It's an open invitation, but there's a time limit. Call to him while he may be found. The invitation is open, but there's a deadline. Do not wait. Return from your wicked ways. Turn from them and turn to him now. And Sometimes uh, I think we, we forget this sense of urgency. It's, it's an urgency. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, so both Pastor Charles and, and Mark have teenage daughters, and they can make fun of, uh, well, make, tell stories and embarrass them. Levi's too small to be embarrassed. So since my parents are here, I can embarrass my dad. Um, when we were in, in Peru, uh, there was, at, at one time in Arequipa, there was a, a big earthquake. And, and it really kind of shook my dad. It was, he, he got very scared. So after a big earthquake, it was 7.1 or something along those lines, um, massive, a lot of destruction and everything. So in, in, in that same night, I think it was one or two o'clock in the morning, um, you hear the siren and then it's shaking. And then my dad ran upstairs to, to my room and, and to my, uh, my room and my brother's room and he just grabbed me and just threw, <laughs> threw, threw, my, uh, threw me Across and then my mom just sees me flying like that and says, "It's fine, I'll get Mike uh, and <laughs> you can go <laughs> out." And it's like, "Let's go! Let's uh, it's it's happening now." There was this desperate urgency. This, it's it's happening now. There is a call and an urgency for you to turn from your wicked ways to Him now. Do not wait. In the early church, 
there was a misconception around the 300 years where that baptism saved. And so what would happen is they would say, no, I want to be baptized in my deathbed, like constant. Uh, Constantine. He, he said, no, no, I, I don't want to get baptized now. Uh, I want to be baptized in, in my deathbed because they would think, okay, then um, all my sins will be, will be forgiven. Sometimes in evangelism, they say, it's like, no, I want to live a little. I will come to the, to the church. I will turn to God in my later years. Have you ever heard that? We don't know what's happening tomorrow. And even for us believers, if, if you are drifting away and, you, and you're thinking, there's time, there's time, return to him now while he may be found. But in verse 7, he starts uh, a new, lead us to our next point, a God unlike us. Second part of verse 7, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Now, we've quoted this verse a lot of times, and, and as a staff, we've been going through a book and has really challenged us in the sense that God is not like us. And, and, and we turn to Him because He's a very merciful and compassionate God. See, if you disappoint me a couple of times, I'm going to be skeptical of you. If you drop me and, and, you know, just leave me hanging for a couple of times, I might be... You know, just distancing myself, okay, it's fine. We are like that. But not God. Not God. He is filled with compassion. And listen to this. He, is abund- he will abundantly pardon. He's going to, if you come to him, if you turn from your wicked ways, if you repent from your wicked ways and you turn to him, he will hug you and embrace you with open arms because he is not like us. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are, are higher than our thoughts. That is how unlike us our God is. We tend to project our uh, ourselves into God as if he was like us, but he is not. He's filled with compassion. So they Ortland says this. What is God saying? He is telling us that we cannot view his expressions of his mercy with our old eyes. Our very view of God must change. What would we say to a seven-year-old who, upon being given a birthday gift by his loving father, immediately scrambled to reach for his piggy bank to try to pay his dad back. How painful to a father's heart that child needs to change his very view of who his father is and what his father delights to do. The natural flow of the fallen human heart is toward reciprocity, uh, reciprocity, tit for tat, 
payback, equanimity, balancing of the scales, we are far more intractably lawish than we realize. There is something healthy and glorious buried in that impulse, of course, made in God's own image. We desire order and fairness rather than chaos, but that impulse, like every part of us, has been diseased by the ruinous fall into sin. See, we, we, we don't see God properly. He, he is great and majestic, and He is loving beyond what we could ever comprehend. He's compassionate. So if you, if you think, I, I cannot even show my face to God now. I've done this. I just did this last week. Or I just fought. I just did that. I just spoke badly. Or my thoughts were just thinking about this. And I just asked for forgiveness. Come to him. Because he's not like you and me. He forgives abundantly. He pardons abundantly. And then he uses, he goes on to use an analogy Two analogies regarding the effectiveness of his methods, and that being rain and snow. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. See, we, just as the rain and snow fall and make the ground fertile to give life, to produce fruit, so does his word. Martin Luther said, Reason says the strength belongs not to the rain and snow, but to the earth. But when we experience the absence of rain, we see what the earth produces. So he takes away the glory of the earth and shows that it is not the earth that does it, but that it is accomplished by the rain. So our building and promotion of the church is not the result of our works, but of the word of God which we preach Here you see that everything is produced by the word. Unless God's word is being proclaimed, there is not going to be life. The ground can be as pretty as as it can be, but if there is no rain, there's not going to be fruit. There's not going to be food. There's not going to be seeds. It is the rain and the snow that makes it spring out. And so it is God's word, the means by which God accomplishes his purposes. We may be tempted to use other means. And, and some, we see out there some churches using other means. I saw this week, um, <laughs> this was a massive church. <laughs> And they somehow managed to bring Father Christmas hanging through, just passing by. And I was like, wow. (laughs) There is all kinds of entertainment and foolishness going on. 
But it is through the preaching of God's word that he accomplishes his purposes. You know, and, and there is even a danger for us as preachers. Pastor Charles and I were running last week, um, and we are chatting about how it is easy for preachers to fall into just talking about ourselves. And there are places there that uh, I, I remember in, in a youth group, went to visit, uh, one of my youth went to visit another group, and then I asked, so how, how do you go? Like, they spoke about themselves the whole time. And, and so we're not that interesting. The Word of God is what changes hearts. And so Pastor Charles and I say we will keep each other accountable if we're talking too much about ourselves. We must preach the Word. That's the method. As you, you want souls to be converted, preach the Word. Share the Gospel with your friends. John Piper puts it greatly. He says, When history comes to an end and the trumpet of God has sounded and the dead in Christ have been raised and the elect have been gathered from the four corners of the earth and all the unbelieving tares have been cast into the fire, God will spend an eternity showing us how not one jot or tittle fell to the ground of all that he purposed through his omnipotent word. He will take each one of his children and show us personally how every sentence we ever spoke from his word in witness or exhortation accomplished things we never dreamed of even when we thought they were spoken in vain. So that text that you message, that verse that you sent out, that... that um, Scripture that you share to, to encourage or to exhort. God will accomplish His purpose through His words. And, and so our talk and our, uh, our lives should be saturated by, by God's Word. Speaking and sharing, talking about God's Word. And lastly, and very briefly, verse 12 and verse 13 end with a vision of triumph. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up, up the cypress. Instead of the beer shall come up the myrrh. Myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. You know that from chapter 40 to chapter 55, every one of those uh, chapters end with a vision of triumph of God's grace. And, and, and the response is he's singing, he's, he's worshiping because he is making a name for himself. He is glorious. He is the great God. It's an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. He will accomplish his purpose of redemption. And so 
we're going to respond in, in, in singing praises to him that his mercy is more. Lord, we thank you because you're not like us. Thank you because you are compassionate, full of mercy, and you invite us to, to come. Lord, so tonight, if there is anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, do not let them go home, Lord. I ask you that you would uh, touch their hearts and, and that you will break their hearts of stone and give them a heart of flesh tonight, that they will turn to you, turn away from their wicked ways and turn to you for salvation, Lord. I ask you for us that are believers to continually to come to you, to Jesus Christ, our great Savior, the one that nourishes us, the one that exhilarates us, the one that um, fills our hearts with joy and peace. There is no one like you, oh God. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.